as we study your word, um, to just look at that and think about that's what they were thinking about and um, that's what they were observing in uh, 100 years ago. And um, Lord, we know that um, even more false things have crept into the church, the prosperity gospel, the word faith movement, the uh, increase of um, acceptance of sinful lifestyles, homosexual ministers being ordained even. Uh, we see that um, there is um, a falling away um, of the importance and priority of being in the Word of God and believe in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And Lord, we want to be those that we want to be true to the Scriptures. And we want to know that this is you speaking to us and to stand on the Word of God. So I pray that tonight as we study these things in the book of Nehemiah, that it's not just a historical account of names and, and gates that are being rebuilt in Jerusalem, but Lord, that we would make application for today. So bless this study and uh, open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, who's the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire at this time in 445 BC is the world-dominating power there in the Middle East and in the Far East. And, and we know that Artaxerxes, that he noticed in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, you see, Nehemiah, we saw, had gotten word from his brethren that Jerusalem still laid in rubble, that the walls were down. We know that um, it was... Um, Nehemiah, that was very sad, and to hear the news, remember that Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king. He was born in captivity. He had never been to Jerusalem, never been to Judah, and yet he wept and he mourned for his brethren who were very much afraid, very discouraged because the walls were still down, very much in fear because they were unprotected, being discouraged uh, by the, the uh, people that you know, had occupied a land that came against them. So Nehemiah, he prayed and he fasted for a period of about four months. In chapter 2, when Artaxerxes noticed that Nehemiah, his countenance was full of sorrow, that he asked Nehemiah, why are you sad? Why are you full of sorrow? And Nehemiah would answer and say that because my brethren in Jerusalem uh, are still, you know, without walls around the city. So he asked permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And of course, Artaxerxes would give that command there in March 14, 445 BC. Nehemiah, you got permission and I'm going to give you supplies and resources for you to be able to go back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So that's where we ended last time in chapter 2, that Nehemiah, he goes to Jerusalem, and he gets on his donkey, and for three nights he goes and he surveys the, the rubble, the wreckage. There's still a lot of stones that are laying there, and, and the city had been in rubble pretty much, the streets being you know, still not built, the wall around the city not built, and it had been that way for you know, almost 100 years and um, for actually over 100 years, about 140 years since 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And, Nebuch and, and um, Nehemiah, as he's there surveying at night, he did it quietly. He didn't come in with this large entourage, you know, as the king's cupbearer saying, okay, I'm here. I'm here to build the wall. I got permission from the king, you know, so you start doing this and you go over here. But he came in very wisely. He surveyed, and, and um, I'm sure he's praying. He's coming up with a plan. And then at the right time, he tells the people, listen, the hand of the Lord is on us, and we have permission from the king, so let's rise up and let's build. Uh, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And when the people heard that, they said, let us you know, build the wall of Jerusalem. And, and they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to do this good work. And I like that phrase, this good work. It was going to be work. It was going to be a very difficult work, as we're going to see as we continue through the book of Nehemiah. But it's a good work. And one of the things that I want to remind us always is that the work that we do for the Lord, it is work but it is always a good work. Remember that. And sometimes we can get discouraged. Sometimes we can think, am I doing any good, Lord? Am I, um, you know, making a difference? Uh, is this work that I'm doing, is it important? And I love what Paul the Apostle 
would write to the Corinthians after that uh, you know, explanation that he gives to them in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians concerning the resurrection, he would then at the end of that chapter, he would say this, that therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, whatever it is that you do for the Lord and as you live for the Lord, it's not in vain, okay? It is a good thing that you're doing and the Lord is delighted by it and so we are to be ones that continue to do that, be immovable, continue to serve the Lord, continue to live for the Lord and to grow in the Lord. And as you do that, you're going to see the blessings of the Lord and fruit that is going to be produced. So they said, let's rise up together and let's build this wall. Let's do this. Nehemiah has told us that the king's given us the command to go ahead and do it. The hand of the Lord is on us. So that's what they're going to do as we get into chapter 3 here. One of the things that I want us to, to remember, there's some phraseology in chapter 3 that we will see over and over again. And let's begin to look at it. Let's read in verse 1, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it, and hung its doors, and they built as far as the Tower of the Hundred, and consecrated it, and then as far as the Tower of Hanael. And then next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of built. So one of the things that we will see as the people are set to rebuild the wall, as the work begins here, this chapter is going to give a list of people who worked and the location where they did that work. And the, the word next to is used over and over and next to, to them or next to him. And here's the thing about doing the work of the Lord. It is something that we get to do together. We, as the member of a body of Christ, we are working together to build the kingdom of God. It isn't a work that you do by yourself. It isn't that you're isolated in doing that work. You might feel that way at times, but we come together to build the kingdom of God. And we have a marvelous privilege and opportunity to do that, to be involved in serving the Lord and building the kingdom because the kingdom is being built today. And, and people are coming to the Lord, and people are growing in the Lord. And we get to labor in doing that, but it's not a labor that you do alone. That's what's so wonderful about the body of Christ, as we come together, and as we do the work of the Lord together, and we're going to see how it is as we go through this chapter, how you and I, and as a church, how it is that we can build the kingdom of God. And, and as we go through it, we're going to see that there's a number of gates that are going to be mentioned as they're going to build those gates, and we're going to see that those gates will have application for us as we go through it. You'll see there's 10 gates, and they're going to speak of how you and I, and as, as a church, we can build the kingdom of God. That word built is used repeatedly over, not only in this chapter, but the next few chapters. So they work together, and as we read in chapter 3 here, the first gate that is mentioned is the sheep gate. And the sheep gate, it was where the, the sheep would come in, where the shepherds would bring their sheep for sale, and they would come in through that gate and sell those sheep. And of course, as we think about building the kingdom of God, we need to realize that, first of all, uh, we got to be the sheep, that is, we belong to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and understand the gospel message, coming to him and knowing that he is the good shepherd, as he would say in John chapter 10, Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And then he would also say that my sheep know me. They know my voice. It's interesting. If you go to Israel today and you have an opportunity that if you're around those areas of Bethlehem or outside of Jerusalem where the Bedouins are, and if you sit there and you just kind of watch the shepherd boys with the sheep, each one of those shepherd boys will have a distinct call. And they'll call uh, their sheep and their sheep will come running up to them. And, um, and it's kind of interesting to watch that. And they've been doing that, of course, for thousands of years. And when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, the people that were listening to Jesus say that, they knew exactly what he was saying. I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. And to understand that, first of all, we need to come to the Lord. We need to come to him and, and we need to give our hearts to him. So I just pray that if there's anyone listening to 
the message today or listening on live stream that you've never come to Jesus Christ, that he's laid down his life for you, that he desires to, for you to recognize that he's the good shepherd that went to the cross of Calvary and died for your sins, and then he rose again after three days, and salvation and justification, as we talked about on Sunday, comes by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As you realize what he has done for you, he's the son of God, he was put into a grave, he conquered sin and death as he rose from the grave, and surrendering your life to him. Will you do that? If you haven't done that, if that means anything to anyone, the good shepherd is calling you to come to be one of his own, and he says that my sheep are in my hands and no one will pluck them out. So the first step is to come to the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so we see here that the sheep gate is the first step as, as we're building the kingdom of God. First of all, we need to come to the Lord. I, I want to mention a couple other things that here as we look at this, but the first person that's mentioned here in doing this great work, this good work, is Eliashib, um, the high priest. And, and I point that out because he's a godly example of a leader. He is out in front leading by example. He didn't think of himself as being too spiritual to do the work of rebuilding a wall. Well, I'm the high priest. I got these priestly garments on. I don't want to get them dirty. You know, I got important things to do. He was one that led by a godly example. And Nehemiah, of course, would be that godly example as well as he would be involved in the work of building a wall. And I think that is a good thing to remember for us if we want to be a good leader is that we lead by example, and we're doing that work that we're involved in or that we perhaps are overseeing or leading others to do. We don't tell them to do it, and then we don't do anything, but we are to lead by that example, and that's what Eliashib did, and that made him a great leader. And then the others are going to pitch in and begin to do the work as well. We see that next to him was the men of Jericho built. Every man's work is very important. Always remember that. Every man's work is very important. And these individuals, we're not going to go through all the names here tonight because, you know, it's just a lot of names. And we're going to kind of survey it. But they were important enough to be put in God's word to be preserved forever. And I want you to know this. That whatever God gives you to do, the work that you do, the opportunities, the, the giftings that he gives to you, whether the world might look at it and say it's insignificant, or maybe others might look at it and say, well, what they do for the Lord is not that important. I pray and hope that none of us have that mindset. That whatever it is that we do, whether moms and dads, that you're focused on raising your children in the ways of the Lord, or whether you're ministering to one individual, discipling them, or maybe leading a small group Bible study, or Whatever it is that you're doing, that work is important. And it pleases the Lord that you're doing it. So to continue to do it. And so here is these guys that are doing the work. And Eliashab being a great example as, as he is involved in the work here. And we continue in verse 3. And also the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. And they laid its beams and hung its doors and its bolts and its bars uh, this is the fish gate where the fishermen from the Sea of Galilee would come in. And it's interesting that not long, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to be, uh, during that Easter week, uh, we're going to be looking at the events of Jesus last week. And you recall that as Jesus went on trial before the religious leaders that night before he was crucified, that it says that John the disciple was there because he knew the high priest. That's what John's gospel tells us. So Bible scholars, they tell us the reason that, uh, that John knew the high priest, the, the reason was probably because it was John and uh, James and his father that would bring fresh fish from the Sea of Galilee. And the scriptures indicate to us that, you know, their father, Zebedee, um, were, was one that he had servants, as we know that the Gospels tell us. And having a number of servants, people working for him, he had quite the, the fishing uh, you know, business that was going on. He would bring fresh fish to Jerusalem, and many of the religious leaders on that council and the high priest would buy fish from Zebedee. 
And so that's how John knew the um, high priests and some of the religious leaders. And it's uh, very probable that that was the reason. Matter of fact, if you go to Jerusalem, um, there'll be somebody that'll come along to the groups and say, hey, we'll show you where Zebedee's fish stand was in Jerusalem, where the high priest would go and buy fish, and they'll want to charge you $30, $40. Don't fall for that. Don't do it. Nobody knows for sure where it was, and, um, and they're just trying to get some money. But that's probably what took place. So uh, the fish gate, where they would bring the fish from and sell the fish. And, of course, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, were disciples of Jesus. And Jesus, then he would say to Peter and Andrew, and uh, I want to make you fishers of men. And one of the ways to build the kingdom of God is for you and I to be fishers of men. Just simply share the gospel to others. You know, um, I love fishing. Um, it's one of the few things that, that I do love to do outside of ministry. And um, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like to. But I got real excited. I got an email from one of the fishing shops uh, that some of the lakes have opened up. And so uh, I was thinking about that and thinking, oh boy, you know, it's coming, it's getting closer. And, um, you know, thinking I got to check my gear and everything. And as much as I enjoy going out and fly fishing and doing that and doing it with my children or with, you know, a good friend, I enjoy more than anything sharing the gospel with others. And sometimes we think, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And I know that there is that gift of evangelism that we see through men like D.L. Moody or, you know, Greg Laurie and uh, Billy Graham, men like that are used mightily of the Lord. But all of us are called to share the gospel. And it might be for you sharing it with your children. It might be for you sharing it with family members. And maybe that one person at work that you really have a burden for. But I pray that, that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Lord for us to give them good news that Jesus loves you and died for you and, and provides forgiveness and wants to save you and bring you into right relationship with the Father. That, that we would you know, pray, Lord, help me to be able to share that because I want to be a fisher of men. I want to share that good news. That's what people need. In all of us, we know people that we care about and we love very much that we can share the gospel with them, that we can just tell them about Jesus. And I know sometimes they don't respond in a favorable way, but we keep praying and we keep sharing and we keep telling people the truth of the gospel. You know, one of the things that has happened in churches today is a lot of churches don't give people an opportunity to come to the Lord when we gather. And the mindset of a lot of churches is, well, that's you know, for you guys to do. But when we gather here, we're just, you know, to be encouraged and have Bible study and feel good and all these other things. I think it's a great opportunity for us, every chance that we get to share the gospel at every gathering that we have and every service that we have and, and across the airwaves and, and live stream, whatever it is, because people need the good news of the gospel and not to be afraid to do that. And I think that the enemy will sell us this bill of goods of, Sometimes, well, you can't share with your neighbor or your friends or whatever because they might laugh at you or they won't like you anymore. You'll make a fool of yourself. And, you know, as we just are sensitive to leading the Lord, he'll prompt you when it's the time to do that. But that we would have a heart for the lost. That we would have a heart for the lost. Because there's a lot of lost out there. And we have the answer for them, and that is Jesus. And I pray that this church would have a heart for the lost. That we would have a heart for those who don't know the Lord. So the fish gate was one of the gates that they would build. And Jesus is desiring to use us to bring people to Christ. In, in verses 4 and 5, uh, some of the other uh, phraseology that we use repeatedly is, is they made repairs. And... Um, you see that in verse 4, that um, they made repairs. And in verse 5, um, we see, um, you know, and as you go on, um, in verse 6, actually, repaired the old gate. It's used, that word repair, 35 times in the chapter 3 
alone. It means in the Hebrew to make something strong, to strengthen, to encourage. That's what Jesus does with us. As we come to him, he is the one who builds and he is the one that repairs. And he is the one that restores broken lives and lost lives. But we get to also partner with him as we get to do that with others in the body of Christ. We get to encourage them. We get to strengthen them. Pray for them. We get to lift them up to the Lord and and lift up their hearts as we give words of truth and encouragement to them. And I love it when we gather here and I just kind of watch people and and, um, that the fellowshipping that's taken place and, and people are praying for each other and people are encouraging one another. And I hope that happens to a greater degree here at Calvary Chapel that we would encourage one another, build each other up. That's why it's such a good place for us to be, because it isn't easy out there, is it, being a Christian? And the world's going to come more against us uh, as the days progress and and as we get closer to the Lord um, and as we grow in the Lord, the world isn't going to applaud us. So it's wonderful to have a place where the body of believers come together and we can really build each other up and encourage one another and strengthen each other. And point people to the Lord, that the Lord, He's going to encourage you and build you up and strengthen you and comfort you. It's wonderful to have that, isn't it? And so blessed to see so many people that are coming out on Wednesday nights, continue to come out, continue to come out on Sundays and grow and and other times that we can get together. And as Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, as the writer of Hebrews would say, especially as you see the day approaching. What day? the day when the Lord's going to come back, the day of the Lord. And so we, as we get closer, especially, which I believe the Lord can come back for us at any time, that we need to be gathering together to, you know, just uh, edify one another and strengthen one another in the Lord. But what I wanted to point out is um, in verse 5, next to them was the Tikokites. They made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. I kind of caught that as I was going through this. Unfortunately, not everyone has the desire to do the work of the Lord. And what happens, they end up missing out. And I just wonder, these guys, the, the Tikoites, if when the wall was completed, if they didn't regret it, Why they didn't put their shoulders to the work, I don't know. Maybe they thought, this is too hard. Look at all the rubble. I mean, we saw in chapter 2 that Nehemiah, that he couldn't hardly get around all the the rubble that was there. And we're going to see later on that the people are going to say, there's just too many stones. There's too much, you know, rubble that is laying around. This is too difficult. Maybe they were thinking, this is too hard. We can't do it. Maybe they were just discouraged from those who were opposing them. Maybe they thought that it won't work. There's no way that we can rebuild this wall. There can be all kinds of reasons why those who are Christians really don't want to get involved in the work of the Lord. And I just wondered when it got finished if they didn't think, I missed out, we missed out. What I'm trying to say tonight is what I hope and pray is that we wouldn't miss out, that you wouldn't miss out. And being used of the Lord, again, in the opportunities you have, where he has you planted, that you wouldn't miss out, that you wouldn't get so distracted or so discouraged or you think it's hard, and it can be hard, and it can be discouraging because of the attacks that come against us. Or, you know, we can think it's just a, kind of a, a, too hard for me to... To, to do this right now, whatever it might be, but that we, as we journey through life, would not miss out on the opportunities that the Lord opens up to us and how he prompts our hearts on the work that he wants us to do. That we wouldn't have those regrets. Oh, I wish I would have been involved more. I wish I would have been involved in doing the work of the Lord. And you see, 
I know that there's a lot of things that can cause us to miss out on what the Lord wants to do. So these guys didn't put their shoulders to do the work. And then in verses 6 through 12, again, just kind of taking a survey, the next repair was the old gate. In verse 6 here, we see it's mentioned. In the old gate, it speaks of the solid teachings of the truth of God's word that we've had. Sometimes we see that people, they want this new word or revelation, and it ends up contradicting the word of God. We know in the last days that Paul said that there are those who are going to have itchy ears given over to myths and fables. And we need to stick to the word of God. We need to know the word of God. It's important that we do. It's important that we be establishing the word of God. So when it comes to building the kingdom of God, that the ones that are, I believe they're going to be most effective in ministering to others and being a blessing to others are those who know the word of God. To be able to give it to others, to be able to give wise counsel to others, to bring comfort to others, to bring truth to others. So continue to be in the word of God. Continue to grow. Continue to be diligent. A workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth as Timothy was told. And continue to grow in what the Word of God has to say. So the old gate speaks of that. And we can be used mightily in building the kingdom of God as we are grounded in the Word of God, continue to grow. But in verse 10 here, as we cover these verses, um, that it says, uh, one of the, again, that we see over and over again, that Jediah, the son of Har, uh, Har Umpeth, whatever, made repairs in front of his house. And um, so that's something that we see over and over again. Repairs that were in front of his house. I got to say this for any of us who really desire to minister. And if I say this to those who desire to minister to a greater degree, maybe in the church, is that ministry starts at home. It's got to start at home. We can never neglect our ministry at home. That is the priority whether it's me or you or anybody. And one of the things that we see here, these individuals, that they were doing ministry in front of their homes, verse 10, as we see here. Um, Jediah, um, in verse 10, it means his name, he who calls unto God. And what I hope and pray is that our homes would be a place of prayer that our homes will be a place where we're calling out to the Lord. So mom and dads and grandparents, or for you and your home, are you calling out to the Lord? Are you having family devotions? Or are you praying with your spouse? Are you praying with your kids? Is it a place of prayer? You can go to, to verse 23, and it says that Benjamin there, that Benjamin, and he made repairs there opposite their house, and we see that Benjamin, his name means son of my right hand. It speaks of protection. And I hope and pray that as we minister in our homes, that our homes are places of protection and peace. That we protect what comes into our homes, the influences in our homes. That the peace and the presence of the Lord would be uh, a priority and, and really there, present. People come into our homes and they sense that. They, they sense the presence of the Lord and the peace of the Lord that is in our homes because it's a place, a, a sanctuary. Our homes should be a sanctuary where the Lord is spoken of and the things of the world and, and that which is contrary to the Lord, we protect our homes from those things coming into our homes. In verse 29, you see Zadok there. He's mentioned and um, he's there and made repairs in front of his own house. Zadok means justice. It means not only justice, but it also means, takes on discipline. It takes on the meaning of integrity, is what his name means. So I pray that our homes are places of discipline. And I, I'm not just talking about parents and disciplining our children, and, and we are told in scriptures that we are to do that, and it's very important that we do discipline our children. That as we love them, as we raise them, we have to discipline them. 
It's just as the Lord disciplines us, chastens us, as the book of Hebrew tells us. Why? Because of his love for us. And there are times where we need to be disciplined because we're going the wrong direction or making bad decisions. And the Lord loves us too much to, to continue in that way. So that discipline comes. Sometimes Christians will come to me and say, I think that the, the Lord is judging me. You got to be careful in saying that as a child of God, because remember this, Jesus already took the judgment for you on Calvary's cross, but he will chasten us. He will discipline us to get us on the right track, just as we as parents discipline our children. We want our children to grow up knowing right from wrong and being honest and hardworking, and that's all part of discipline. You know, they need to do their schoolwork. They need to do their chores. They need to, you know, have disciplined lives. And we want them, when they get to be adults, to have a life that is disciplined. And unfortunately, we see in our society today that there's more undisciplined people that are out there because they weren't raised in a home that there was discipline in their home where there was integrity. We want to minister. Oh, how important it is, moms and dads, that we minister with integrity in our home, that they see it in us, that there isn't compromise in us, that we don't have undisciplined lives and compromised lives, but there's t integrity. So that's how we can minister in our homes. And then verse uh, 30, we see Mush, uh, Mushulam is mentioned there. And he made repairs in front of his dwelling. His name means devoted. So may our homes be a place of devotion to the Lord. So again, in building the kingdom of God, start at home. Make sure that that's taking place. Your children, your family, your spouse that you're ministering to them. You know, even for me, it's told to me as an overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that an overseer who does a good work, that he must be one that is ruling over his household. Well, if he doesn't, how is he going to be able to rule or that is to oversee or that is how is he going to be able to shepherd the church? I cannot do my ministry here that God has called me to do if I neglect my ministry at home. And it's the same with any of us. So I'm kind of pressing that point for us here because they were doing their ministry in front of their house and we see that over and over again. And then verse 13, we see that um, uh, Hanun and the inhabitants of uh, Zenoah repaired the valley gate. Now the valley gate speaks of trials and difficulties which you will experience. Every single one of us will experience the valleys in our journey with the Lord, in our service to the Lord. We will go through the trials. We will go through difficult circumstances because of what life brings to us or the enemy comes against us, and we go through those times, and we need to understand that. But here, as we are reminded that in those times that we are in the valley, it can be a time of growth. That's where growth can take place. I think what can happen is when we go through trials, you know, in serving the Lord and building the kingdom of God, which all of us will go through, that it throws us for a loop. We think, Lord, I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm doing what you've told me to do. Why am I going through this trial? Why am I going through this affirmity? And the Lord will allow that to happen in our lives so we can grow. And that's why it is Peter that wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised concerning fiery trials that come your way, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He didn't say if you do, but when you do, because the testing of your faith works patience. Listen. It can be very hard. It can be very hurtful. And in those times, we can kind of say, you know, forget it, Lord. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to study anymore. I'm not going to think about, you know, 
pleasing you with my life, we just kind of can give up if we're not careful. And the thing is, is it is a time when we're going through the difficulties of life that as we press into the Lord in fellowship with Him and call out to Him, and in the honesty of our hearts, give Him our hurts and give Him those situations, it is a time where we can grow in our faith and trust in Him and see His faithfulness being worked out in our lives. We will all go through the valley gate. And that is a time not to, to run away from the Lord, but to call out to the Lord. It's not a time to, to be angry at the Lord. It's a time to just recognize again that He loves you and to fall upon His love and rest in His love that He has for you. So the valley gate was the next gate that they would build. And then in verse 14, we see that they would repair the refuge gate and built it and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. The refuge gate, or it was called the dung gate. It led to the Himmon Valley to the south there where they would throw the trash and they would burn it. Get rid of the refuge there. We want to be used to the Lord. We want to build the kingdom of God. The Lord is going to burn all the waste and the refuge and the junk out of our lives. And he's going to continue to do that. We, there was this popular song in the 80s, Refiner's Fire. Some of you know it. Refiner's Fire. You know, Lord, make me like gold and silver. As we would sing that song, very popular song. I remember singing it all the time. And I was a young Christian back then, and I didn't really know what it meant. But going through the refiner's fire isn't always easy, is it? Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. Okay, you're going to feel the heat. And you see, it's like the goldsmith, the silversmith, how they would get the impurities out of those metals is they would heat up the metal and, and the impurities in that metal would come to the top that as it was being melted, as the heat was applied to it. And then he would you know, scrape off the impurities, the dross, and then he heated up more and more impurities come up and he continued to do that process until the goldsmith, the silversmith, could see his reflection in that metal the refiner's fire. And as he is taking us from glory to greater glory, as we're being conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, we will go through the refiner's fire so that he can make us more like him. So the trash and the refuge and the garbage of the world gets burned out of us. So let him do that work that he wants to do in your life. Verses 15 through 25, we see that the builders, they're near the fountain gate. The fountain gate. And you can read all the guys that are involved there in the fountain gates. The fountain gate speaks of living water. That we need to continually be filled with the living water of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 7, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink it. And out of his belly will flow torrents of living water, fountains of living water, the fountain gate here. Listen, none of us can live for the Lord. None of us can be used of the Lord. We can't build the kingdom of God without him, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. We can't do it in our own flesh. Zerubbabel, Zechariah would come to him. As Zerubbabel was building that temple after the captivity, is not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It isn't by your own energy and your own togetherness and intellect and your own doing. It isn't by your own power and might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is a work of the spirit. And what we're going to see this Sunday as we continue in the book of Galatians, Paul's going to say, what has begun in the spirit, are you going to try to perfect in the flesh? My prayer for this fellowship is what has begun in the spirit that we would not try to perfect in the flesh. That can happen very easily. What can happen is there's a dependency. There's a, a, on the Lord when you first start out, just in a sweet way, in a very humble way, but things begin to grow. The Lord begins to bless and things can change to where you begin to, 
you know, trust in budgets and buildings and the number of people and programs and everything else. I pray that that would not happen here at Calvary Chapel. And that's one of the reasons I think it's going to be very important that we have that week of just as a fellowship of just prayer and fasting and making sure that those things are a priority here at Calvary Chapel. That we want to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and the Spirit of God working in us and never get away from that. Never get away from that. So the fountain gate, the Holy Spirit filling us and working through us, the satisfaction of the living water that is in our hearts, working in our lives. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, if you drink of this well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. If you drink of the water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. And I'll tell you where you're going to be really fulfilled and satisfied and happy and full of joy. You keep living for the Lord. And you allow the Lord to work through you. Whatever he has for you, again, wherever he's placed you, and whatever gifts he's given to you, and building the kingdom of God. We see in verses 26 through 27, there's the water gate towards the east and on a projecting tower. So the east gate is mentioned here, and the, um, or the water gate to the east, the seventh gate not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but also with the water of the Word. Paul would mention about being washed with the water of the Word in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus said that you're clean by the Word which I give to you. John chapter 15, verse 3. Psalms 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your Word. It's important that we are being washed with the water of the Word continually that husbands, fathers, that you're washing your spouse, your wife, your kids with the water of the word, that we're taking it in and being refreshed and renewed by doing that. And in verse 28 through verse 30, we see here that the horse gate is mentioned. Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. The horse gate would lead to the east, to the Kidron Valley. And a horse is a symbol of strength and power, and God is the source of that strength for us so that we can finish the race. He is that source of strength. And he will strengthen us, and he will bless us, and he'll give us what we need so that we can finish the race that he has for us. And being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And I know I've mentioned this to you before, but that brings great comfort to me, knowing that, Lord, you're going to do the work in me. You are going to give me the strength to do it. That, Lord, that you are going to, you know, work in me both the will and to do of your good pleasures. So the horse gate and then the tenth and last gate that's mentioned in verse 31 here is the gate um, that uh, Mifka, it means inspection. The Mifka gate is what it is. And it was where the soldiers would travel through this gate after a battle, after victory. I want to end with this. No, maybe I won't end with this. That when we're done here in this life, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we will all stand before the payment reward seat of Jesus Christ. And we'll be judged what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, that all of us are going to stand before the payment reward seat of Jesus Christ. And that's where our works are going to be inspected. You see, we're not going to be judged for our sin because Jesus took that judgment on Calvary's cross. But with that said, we are going to be judged what we have done in this life and the New Testament talks a whole lot about crowns that will be given and rewards that are going to be given to you and to me for our service for the Lord, our faithfulness to the Lord. 
and all of our works will be tried by fires. First Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, and the works that are not of the Lord are, are like wood, hay, and stubble that are going to burn up, as Paul writes. And then those works that are, are pleasing to the Lord, are of the Lord, are going to shine forth like gold, silver, and precious metals. But we will all stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ to receive rewards. That is real. And if we really believe the word of God, that should affect everything that, you know, that we, you know, the perspective of life and how we live and what we do and what we prioritize. That I want to please you, Lord. I want to do the work of the kingdom because there's rewards to be given. Now, there are some who will say to me, well, you shouldn't, you know, that's selfish to desire rewards. Not according to the New Testament. What Jesus said in the Apostle Paul, that we should desire those rewards. And those are rewards that are going to last for all eternity. And the applause that we get in this life will go away. But only what we do for Christ, that's what will last. So one day, standing before our Lord, as he looks at us in those eyes of flame, eyes of fires, and all the things that are unlike him will burn up, and all the things that we did to please him will shine forth. And my hope and prayer is that you will receive those rewards that he has for you. And that it would just be just a glorious time that we would not say, that, oh, and I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But I know the stupid seduction of the world that can take you away from prioritizing living for the Lord and being used of the Lord, whether it's to your family or in the church or some ministry or at the workplace or whatever. I know the stupid seduction of the world it easily can take us away from that. And I don't want it to. Because I want all of us to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord. And what a glorious day that is going to be when all of us go to heaven. But there's rewards to be given and crowns to be given for faithfulness and service to the Lord that will last for all eternity. So what we do for Christ is what will last. Everything else here is going to be here. We can't take it with us. The applause, the, the you know, what we have, the possessions, the hobbies, we even leave our bodies here till the resurrection happens. But the Lord will look at us with love and our works will be tried. We have that marvelous opportunity to be used of Him, to live for Him, to grow in the love of Jesus Christ and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And to know that his promise is this, that he desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think if we just let him. If we just let him and we surrender completely and say, Lord, my life is yours. My life is yours. Whatever you want to do. And you don't compare yourself to anybody else. All right? Don't do that. You have a race to run that nobody else is running. God has a ministry for you that he has that nobody else can do. He's placed you where he's placed you so that he can get the glory as you do his good pleasure. And you just allow the Lord to do it. And I think, really, when we get to heaven, again, I don't know exactly what the rewards and crowns, some of them are spoken of in the scriptures, but I think that we're going to be surprised as those rewards are given for you that perhaps made a meal for somebody who's hurting. The rewards they'll be giving for you who just shared the gospel with a coworker, or for you that was faithful and praying for your family, for you who got a cup of cold water for a child out here who couldn't reach the, the drinking fountain. And you took the time to stop and give them some water. For you 
who have ministered to the kids, for you who have done simple things, but very important things, great is your reward. Great is your reward. And don't miss out on it. Again, however the Lord gives you the opportunities, be sensitive to his leading. Every day, just desiring to, Lord, how is it that you want me to be used now? How is it that you want me to be used in the weeks ahead? Whatever you have for me. And allow him to do that so we can build the kingdom of God and be a part of this marvelous thing that he is doing. So, Lord, thank you. We thank you for this chapter that we've gone over. It is a great chapter to look at these gates and as we just kind of survey it. And Lord, we do. We want to be ones that we press into you. We want to know you more. We want to be used of you. And Lord, I do pray, as we talked about the sheep gate, the chapter actually ends with mentioning the sheep gate again. It starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight that before you can really, or before you can do anything for the Lord, you must come to the Lord and surrender to Him. Your life. Is He the Lord of your life and the Savior of your life? Have you come in faith and recognized your need for Him? and ask for forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the good shepherd. And if that means anything to anyone, it isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And it's about Jesus who came and took your sin upon himself and died in place of you and for you. And then he rose from the grave an invitation is given to come and to believe in Him. To believe in Him for eternal life and forgiveness. To quit going the direction that you're going because the world will not save you. The world is it's a hopeless place. Jesus is your hope, your only hope. Will you turn to Him? If anybody is listening tonight, listening to this message. You don't know if you have a true relationship with Jesus. Get right with Him. He loves you. He desires for you to come to Him and for you to surrender your heart to Him. You can pray, Jesus, come, be my personal Lord and Savior. I come to you and, and I ask for forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. I am a sinner need of you and you made atonement for me and you rose from the grave and you're alive knocking on the door of my heart and I now let you in thank you for hearing my prayer my life is not its own I now surrender to you I surrender my life completely to you and thank you for hearing my prayer